This reading comes from Philemon, verses 1 to 25, and can be found on page 1135 of the Church Bibles. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other to Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for, for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done anything, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored in you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Caroline. So as I say, we begin today our series of little letters, um, not so little to read um, for our readers over the next few weeks, but, um, but still often overlooked but, you know, I, I go back to my days in, in banking, and when I first started um, as a cashier in, in Lloyd's Bank, I um, used to dread mystery shoppers. Um, and I don't know if you've worked in retail or in shops or, 
or anywhere where they have such things as mystery shoppers. But I used to dread them because, you know, you could be having an awful day and, you know, suddenly at your worst points, you could get this person incognito to actually uh, inspect you and to decide on how welcoming or hospitable or how good your customer service was. Um, and, and that could throw the whole thing out of play. Well, you may be surprised to hear, my friends, that there is, um, as a Christian equivalent, um, if you know the um, Ship of Fools uh, website, you might be a keen reader, as, as I am, of the Mystery Worshipper um, page on that. And if you're not, um, it's a good voyeur activity. Um, you can check it out later. Uh, reports from Mystery Worshippers, the Christian equivalent of Mystery Shoppers, um, who go into churches unannounced and they write reports um, about, about the songs and about the speaker, and about the minister, uh, and so on. And then they publish them. Um, and some of them are, are very generous, uh, some are very positive, others less so. Um, so, um, so we should be on our guard. No, we shouldn't really, but, um, but, but this exists. And you can go and check it out later. Um, to date, I haven't seen one done for Camborne Church, but now I've said it, it's probably only a matter of time away. Well, as I said, today we begin um, a new mini-series in these last few weeks of August. Enjoy the caption on the screen while I'm talking. Uh, And we're going to take a look at three often overlooked letters uh, from the New Testament. Philemon, which we'll be exploring this morning before moving on to Jude next week, and then on to 2 John the week after. And these could be seen as sort of blink and you'll miss them uh, letters of the New Testament. But what they have to teach us in areas such as welcome and hospitality, um, God's saving grace in Jude, and then truth and love is significant. And in fact, Jude also, a particular favorite of mine, has a lot to teach us about Christian leadership. And this morning, we're thinking about welcome and hospitality Um, And as we talk, Julie, Fiona, and the children are out in the foyer making biscuits, which, as I say, I hope we get to share around at the end. But it's a useful thought, isn't it, to think about how welcoming we are as a church community. If there is, and there might be, a mystery worshipper in our midst this morning, what what would they actually um, be writing about us? How would they experience Camborne Church? And this theme of welcome and hospitality goes to the heart of Paul's letter to Philemon. So let me give you a snapshot of our cast or our characters this morning in this 25-verse letter to Philemon. We have Paul, a traveling missionary, who is now imprisoned uh, for his faith. Where exactly Paul is, we don't know, but we suspect that he's either in Rome or Ephesus, and we're leaning more um, towards Ephesus because it's closer um, to the events of this passage. Paul, along with Timothy, is accredited in the first verse with the authorship of this letter. But then from about the fourth verse of Philemon, Paul starts to speak in in the first person. So we we accredit it more to Paul um, than to Timothy. We have Timothy, who is a young church leader and a student of Paul. We have Philemon, who is a leader of a house church meeting in or near the city of Colossae. 
we have Onesimus, who was a slave in Philemon's household. We have Aphia, Philemon's wife. Epaphras, a fellow missionary of Paul, who is also currently imprisoned for following Christ. And then we have friends of Paul, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. And in true Pauline style, this letter is sent to the house church that Philemon leads to encourage it and to challenge it. Paul writes with a purpose. And very quickly, in a letter which is only 25 verses long, Paul passes through greetings and thanksgivings and general encouragements and gets to the real purpose of this letter and the reason why he has chosen to write to Philemon. Now, to set the scene a bit further, Philemon was a man of wealth, of means, um, who lived in the city of Colossae, which is about 100 uh, miles inland from Ephesus. News of Paul had spread far and wide across the region. And whilst we don't know that Paul had ever visited Colossae himself, we know that he had visited and spoken in Ephesus. And it seems that this is where Philemon heard and met with Paul. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which Paul would have spoken of, clearly impacted Philemon, uh, and, and it impacted his life in a marked way. To such an extent that Philemon goes from listening to Paul and establishes a sort of house church, a, a church in his household, in his home, uh, for the few Christians that there were at that stage in the city of Colossae, so that people could come and worship together and find out more about Christ. A place from which Philemon and his household extended love and hospitality to all. But there was an issue, um, and it was an issue that Paul had to address, and it's, it's majorly the reason why Paul writes to Philemon, and it's a big one, and it's a very topical one for us in, in, our, in, in our day and age too, and it's this, slavery. You see, like all of um, his contemporaries, Philemon has slaves in his household, and Paul, in the course of his letter, challenges Philemon about this. But so that you can appreciate the enormity of the challenge, you need to see things as they would have been seen by Philemon. I'm sure we we all agree that slavery, which exists in modern forms, as, as the picture makes reference to, is abhorrent. We pray for an end to modern slavery in all its incarnations. But but the reality in Philemon's time and Paul's time was that uh, slavery was such a part of the structure of society um, that society would have collapsed without it, which doesn't justify it, but you need to understand um, the lens through which Paul is writing to Philemon this morning. Because for people even of moderate wealth in Paul's time, having slaves in your household was both normal and necessary. It was how all tasks of running a house took place and were achieved. And it was so widespread that the structures of a generation, of a society and of a culture were dependent on it. Now, as I say, to us, slavery is abhorrent, but in Paul's time, it was perceived as normal practice. And the conditions of slaves, which weren't just concerned with with household tasks, but ranged from um, household slavery to to civil service type uh, functions and business and commerce, um, 
the conditions of slaves varied enormously from household to household, and slave owners had far-reaching legal powers to exact revenge on slaves who disobeyed them, disobeyed them. And often, sadly, tragically, they exercised these legal powers. So enter Onesimus, a slave in Philemon's household who leaves Philemon's house and meets with Paul, probably in Ephesus or Rome, but certainly wherever it is that Paul is imprisoned. Now, it could be that Philemon has sent Onesimus to Paul in order to take a message to him and bring him one back. I mean, remember that uh, Philemon was converted through Paul's ministry. There was a relationship between the two of them. It's possible um, that Philemon had sent Onesimus um, to convey a message and to bring one back. But the far more likely the far more likely situation is that Onesimus has escaped his slavery in Philemon's household. Now, the stakes are absolutely huge at this point. For a slave to run away from, from their master's household um, could, could, could result in death for them. Um, and so he was taking his life into his hands. And, and most, most slaves escaping households would, would run to the nearest city Um, because in a city you had the amount of population that you could attempt to disappear um, within such a large group of people. Because because it was such a part of the fabric of society, if someone found a slave, they were duty-bound to return them to to their master's household. And as I said, the stakes and the results of that were often terminal. So the stakes for Onesimus couldn't be bigger. He might have stolen property or money from Philemon. We don't know. And Paul references, if if you have lost anything, then charge it to me later on in the letter. What we do know is Onesimus meets Paul. And through that meeting, Paul, like Philemon before him, becomes a Christian, hears the gospel, and his life is changed. And Onesimus devotes himself to Paul's care. Paul is not in, in a great place, he's in prison, and Onesimus devotes himself to his teacher's um, care. In fact, in verse 12, Paul describes Onesimus as um, after his very heart. However, Paul knows that there is a black cloud hovering that he has to make huge demands on both Onesimus and Philemon. For Onesimus's part, he must travel back to Colossae and and to Philemon's household. And we've already mentioned the potential penalties involved in doing that. And for Philemon, Paul implores him to receive Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a fellow Christian, and even suggests that Philemon might grant Onesimus his freedom. In the face of the culture of the day, the challenge Paul is given both to Onesimus and Philemon is huge. And I, I, I like art, and um, so I put up this, this picture of Philemon um, embracing Onesimus, which we hope is Philemon's response to Paul's urging, but the picture 
um, has overtones of the return of the prodigal son, in which we're a lot more confident that the father is always willing to embrace um, the son who returns to him. But in this graphic, um, it's slightly more dubious whether something so heartfelt is what would take place. There's a lot riding on Onesimus's return. But here's the point. Onesimus had to be sent back um, because Paul is, is, in a sense, using Onesimus to illustrate the point that our lives are changed when we meet with Christ, that God does a work of recreation in our lives when we meet with Jesus Christ. And, and Paul's urging to Philemon in, in this letter is that when Onesimus returns to him, because of his new, um, his new identity as a Christian, things have to change. Because in Christ, we are all equal, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. And so the old way, where Onesimus was enslaved to Philemon, can't possibly be maintained when they are brothers in Christ. And this is Paul's challenge um, to Philemon. And, and we read about this from verse 12 on, where it says, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. And we see Paul's passion um, for Onesimus. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not then have forced, but would not seem forced, but voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you a little while was that you might have, have, you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. And I think it's marked that if you double back in, in, in that passage to verse 8, it says this, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. And the question that I'm asking us to think about this morning is on the basis of the welcome, which we hope in response to Paul's words, um, Onesimus received at the hands of Philemon, what does welcome look like for us as a church community? Uh, one of the wonderful things about Camborne is the diversity of, of, of our community, as in Camborne. You know, that people of all backgrounds and from all nationalities and languages have come and made a home here and become part of this community. What does that mean for us as a church in terms of welcome? You know, sometimes um, we think about welcome in nuanced terms, and we think about it as, as a nice feeling. But the challenge of Philemon real, realizes for us the depth of the challenge, that Paul was challenging an entire culture, an entire structure to society in asking uh, Philemon to welcome um, someone who was formerly his slave back, um, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. In part, the challenge of Philemon is to recognize that we are all enslaved to Christ, but in that enslavement to Christ, we find our freedom. 
We all stand before God as equally enslaved and equally free, but it's a choice we make to follow Christ. Isn't it a wonderful image in a way? If that picture is correct, um, that picture, but also that one, that picture is correct, and Anisimus is welcomed back, just as the prodigal son, after squandering his inheritance, is welcomed back into the arms of the Father. Amen. If you're able to stand and you want to,